it wasn't like we were going to get booked at these big things. And so I thought like, well, maybe I'll just like throw a party for me and my, you know, my band. Like we'll have a little thing out in the woods. This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champaign-Urbana. Recorded in the Blue Box studio with a songwriter from the Champaign-Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is a member of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Welcome to Champagne is also a band podcast. Today, my guest is someone that you may know from Nioga Blacksmith, Primitive Lights, Vestiges, and Waterfowl. Brad Olson, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Sven. Thanks for having me. <laughs> As I caught him uh, mid <laughs> mid sip on the delicious, delicious Budweiser. I really should have been into. better prepared. You were reading the intro. No, it's it's all good. Uh, so today. We're going to be listening to the song Formaldehyde off the album Piasaw. Without further ado, as I like to say, let's listen to the song.
Welcome back. As always, my favorite first question is what came first, the music or the lyrics? This case, it was pretty clear it was the music. And that's, I think, something that a lot of the Neoga Blacksmith stuff is pretty much just derived as music and riffs or chord progressions first. We do a lot of just jamming in the garage and recording bits and pieces on like a little handheld or something. And for me, like at least I know, like lyrics is definitely something I struggle with a lot. I never quite know how to approach a song and I tend to labor over it a lot. I never, I guess I'm never quite sure what to say. You know, what, what's the story I want to tell? What is it I really want to communicate? And so for me, like, it's a lot easier to just kind of like play a melody or something. And I'll like, you know, I might sit with something like a half a melody in my head for years and never quite know what words are actually going to go with it. Okay. Are you familiar with like Paul McCartney and uh, like how he wrote songs? Well, I've heard of Paul McCartney. Are you familiar yeah. with him? He was in a band <laughs> called the Beatles. Um, oh. They were, yeah. Like back in the 40s or something. Yes, uh, right? yes. Um, no, so like the song Yesterday, he had the melody and worked out and the placeholder lyrics that he'd put in were like scrambled eggs, like scrambled yeah. eggs. And I do something similar, although it's mostly just nonsense syllables or things like that. I kind of have an idea of what the vocal line will sound like or if there's a hook or something. And so I, I tend to write in that way. And I have just honestly, like I said, have a really hard time sometimes thinking about like, well, what is this actually song going to be about? So this one particularly, though, it was definitely came from the riff first. And it was in a period I, we were planning to write this album and Matt had been writing a bunch of stuff. And I was struggling, as usual, to kind of come up with something of my own. And he, I believe, came up with this kind of lead riff that you hear in the song that kind of drives the, each of these verses and the, the musical interludes in between. And I think we played around with it, just kind of jamming on it. We came up with some fake name for it and put it in the Google Drive. And it just kind of sat there for a while. And I probably... I, th I probably st stuck a flag in it for my own and said like, well, I brought some lyrics in or said like, oh, I'm going to write some lyrics for this. And at this point, it became easier. Like we were playing this song along with the song on the album that precedes it. It's called Katie. And that's one that Matt Wade wrote. And so for me, lyrically, there was a very vivid story about like uh, an automobile accident kills this young woman, right? And a lot of these songs I felt like were shaping up to be kind of story songs. And so I wanted to see some kind of interweaving between them. And so I suppose this song was kind of inspired lyrically or connecting to that one as well, since they do connect sort of gotcha. together. Um, so this would be like act two, you know, in, in a sense of, of that first song. But Did you write that line in between... Uh, the verse is kind of this interlude part that you're playing with the guitar. Oh, the faster, higher-pitched one? The yeah. Da -da 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 yeah. That's Matt. He came up with that one. He might have come up with both of them, honestly. And oh. we kind of like... That tends to happen in the garage. And now we have like three guitarists in the band. Yeah. And so somebody might come up with something... And then in order to fit other people in, you know, they might come up with another thing in a different position or a different register. And so he would have come up with that part. What I'm playing is the part that's got like the little bit of a wah pedal effect on oh, it, yeah. the little bit lower, yeah, kind of more repetitive, um, lower register line. I, I guess I brought that to the forefront just because it's something that's very, very distinctive about this song. And in fact... When I saw Neoga Blacksmith for maybe the first time, I I feel like that was the song that kind of stuck with me because it's mm -hmm. this, I don't know, I for some reason, I feel like that's a sense of agitation. Like mm -hmm. that sound is... It's is a little, yeah. Where it's kind of like, it would be the sound I think that would be going through my head if I were pacing back and forth and I couldn't, like, mm -hmm. couldn't settle down couldn't sit couldn't right um because rest. it is just this repetition of two notes did it or maybe it probably ends on this punctuated third like you know the fifth or whatever it yeah. is that that alternates in there but the thing that struck me about this song is that it does feel all about like this frustration at least to me sure. it feels like frustration but the thing that i find interesting is that the rhythm section the bass line is just continually driving forward like there's not really a stop to that mm -hmm. it just keeps going you know and you mentioned that this was 
uh, about uh, a car accident, someone dying. Um, I don't know if you said if. Oh uh, well, was yeah, dying, but, unofficially. Um, I mean, like in that in that vein, it was about it's about death, you know, yeah. for sure. In a, at least a you know a metaphorical sense, if not literal. But the song itself kind of starts off with this big kind of like crash, you mm-hmm. know, with with the drums, and then it just drives. So I think about you know tragic things that happen in our lives and it's and it's always like that right where something horrible happens and then there's not a time to really recover it's just mm-hmm. because it's so tragic it's a loss that you don't get the opportunity to ever stop thinking about it or mm-hmm. it just keeps driving and i think between that that baseline and the drums kind of going forward constantly and then these little agitator lines should i call them if mm-hmm. i can refer to it yeah, that sure. way um kind of sets this mood of like how does one deal with it i think if you had to look at it in like a really literal way it's written from the perspective of a guy who is dealing with a loss you know of the person that he loved and is basically essentially like you're saying like pacing around the room trying to figure out any way to bring her back and so like in his sort of like uh like uh like middle school you know mystical sort of sense turns to you know these pseudo witchcraft rituals or or whatever it is you know that are alluded to more in in that second verse but yeah i was gonna point out i i did feel like that um well drew a pentagram in crayon on the kitchen floor Mm -hmm. it's it is that kind of that middle school kind of feel to it it just to me i always think of it as like it has no forethought it's like it's the first thing that he came across mm-hmm. and he's just like i'm just gonna grab this so it's it, that sure again that whole driving thing of like what can i do and right i can't figure out how to make this this person better. come back yeah, how yeah. do i get out of the situation and so like i'm gonna turn to whatever you know like what i think i might what might work some occult thing you know that's all i can imagine will work at this point and the crayon is you know when i started that verse i remember really feeling like i'm pretty like critical of my writing a lot and even after the fact listening to a song or thinking about the lyrics that i wrote down you know i i often feel like oh I could have done better or I could have come up with something, but, uh, you know, that was maybe more vivid or, you know, evocative of whatever. Um, but when I, st- I remember very vividly like writing this verse and just feeling like every line was unlocking more and more to this picture and started to like really take shape in my mind about who this character was. So like the idea of having Cran um, drawing the pentagram and Cran on the kitchen floor informs later that well there's a, a kid that's in the mix and that's why there's oh. crayons around right you know I was searching and searching for words that would rhyme with well because I have this habit of like not knowing yeah. what the first word of a line or a verse should be and so when I realized that twelve would kind of half rhyme with well I remember having the thought of like well how would 12 fit into this scene and i had this just kind of image in my mind of that oven clock that flashes 12 o'clock because it's like the power's been shut off or you know there's been something that you know they it's been raining maybe there's been a power outage and so it was little little details like that writing that was a lot more fun to me than maybe some of my other approaches to songwriting which in the past had been maybe more personal or trying not to be too personal you know and this was just having fun like painting a picture that seemed really interesting to me and i had a love for like zombie movies and things like this so i i kind of envisioned right. this like if i was to like you know shoot a picture of this song it would be in black and white very much like you know night of the living dead sort of you know this old farmhouse or like you know ranch home or something out in kind of a string town with rain on the windows and this pentagram on the floor and crayon and kids toys maybe off in the den or something but kind of a bleak scene for a guy who's found himself suddenly without you know a partner or a mother to the kid or whatever it is so the second verse is like your favorite verse out of this i'd say yeah i for sure i mean like i think it's probably like probably the favorite thing i've ever written it's the one like i think verse that i can look at and be kind of proud of and not be like oh cringy a little bit you know like oh you know (laughs) come on man um 
but yeah, I mean, like, it's probably, I, I really like it a lot. I think it works, and I've had a lot of people kind of tell me that, so that kind of helps the ego a little bit in the way that it's been received. A lot of my friends who are songwriters that I respect a lot, you know, mention this song or that line in particular. So one of the things that I was thinking about as I was listening to this and writing up my notes is, how do I say this? So if this is telling a story, in terms of the, the subject of the story, where do you think this person is or how they, and I'm trying to ask this in the right way because it's the way I think about it, is where do you think they reside, like mentally? Mm-hmm. Um, like, are they still going back to the, you know, the sole survivor son of a bitch or are they thinking about how to resurrect this person over and over or this is completely theoretical in a certain sense, but I I was really curious, like if that were your perspective, where would you be in that? Well, I think that that's, you know, that's not something I think I probably took into account when writing it, but that each verse kind of gets at a different response to grief. I think it does. You know, the first one is about blaming like another person a little bit, you know, you know, or maybe denial even. And then the second one is about bargaining or trying to come up with some arrangement that's going to like solve this. And the final verse is like refusal to believe or maybe even acceptance in a way. I don't know. I mean, like the idea that just don't make no goddamn sense when you're only six feet deep is like kind of a resignful acceptance of the situation or something to to acknowledge that something just doesn't make sense sometimes i i just see like a picture of a really manic person who can't you know and that's kind of the stages of grief right it's like you it's not like you get through one and then you're done you know right you know you'll bounce back and forth between these sorts of responses and you may not fully ever rest you'll you'll feel these things kind of you know coming back so this whole ritual that he set up in the second verse the pentagram on the floor and the records and the drugstore wine like you know these things didn't work clearly but you know i I don't know that he won't try them again (laughs) right well and i think that's interesting that it seems that that second verse that the the records on the folding chair Mm -hmm. are like a reality or sure. something that's left behind by right. this person. And I mean, you could say, and a picture and a lock of your hair, mm-hmm. but you know, we, we grow our hair and it's just dead. Yeah, sure. Um, and pictures is not really us, but I feel like that remembrance of a person and it's about the things about their personality a bit and these things yeah. like that. And, you know, that kind of sp- led me like springboard into the production of this song. Like, that idea of records like i don't know if it's very hidden back there in that interlude in between after that verse but there's a little bit of back masking and so oh. i don't know i probably i don't we can't do this on the air but there's there's a famous beatles song that is sung in the back masking that that deals with the idea of like grasping for having someone back okay so if you play it backwards there you might be able to catch it but um it's, i was I, I i even have a note in here i'm like what are you saying in the- <laughs> well you'll have to play it backwards and find out you know all um, right but but it you know it's a beatles song and you know that was something fun to come in. i've always wanted to put like that back and then that goes back to this whole idea of like what would a guy who really didn't pay attention to anything outside of like middle school early high school uh-huh you know <laughs> how would he produce a song or what would he would he think would be like really like uh, a ritual to enact would be like you know playing her favorite songs backwards or looking for some kind of message or meaning i suppose do you have a favorite line in this song i don't know about you know a favorite line you know i'd have to go back to just that second verse i think all works really well together I think it has some of my favorite images, chicken blood on the door. Some, it's just fun to say. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's like one of those, you know, collections of words that I somehow stumbled across that just kind of fits in the song. And yeah, like I said, it's just fun to say. Like it comes out of the mouth really, you know, easily and nicely and is dark and evocative and weird and rural in its own way. And Did you research or look up any any spells oh, or, no. or anything okay no, this I was is just like, curious if well you... no this uh, you know this is my uh, you know when i keep referring to this guy as having like a middle school mystical mentality like it's mine right i mean like yeah. these are the things i if i believed any in any of that you know that i might do i suppose or that you know it's what i would think of what are some of like the legends about like 
you know, musicians selling their souls or things right. or whatever it is. Like that was really appealing to me as a kid. But I was always interested in sort of the supernatural from just like an academic sense even. I mean, like I never believed in a lot of superstitions and stuff, but I find it really fascinating the way that these things are crafted and kind of passed down and how they might change. And I'm approaching it from that mindset where it's really kind of like, what do I find interesting about that world? Let me back up just a little bit and say, so I'm just curious because this popped into my head Mm -hmm. is where do you think those rumors come from where it's like, you know, Eric Clapton sold his soul and, you know, uh, there was that whole rumor that he's, he, made the deal and that he would lose his firstborn son and then he lost and then he is that really yeah and i i just wonder if that stems from not a sense of jealousy that may not be the right i don't think yeah it may not just but it's almost reverence it's almost like we're if we see somebody with talent that seems like otherworldly or impossible to achieve or that we cannot place within our grasp it's maybe easier for us to be like, oh, well, there's something supernatural going on here. But that particularly has been a tradition of music since before Clapton, you know, you know, Robert Johnson. Yeah. was like probably arguably the first, but I have to imagine that comes from an older tradition of that, you know, stories of people, not necessarily for musical talent, but like selling their soul or making some sort of sacrifice like that. You know, I would imagine across cultures is probably something that's shared. And I don't know. It's an interesting question about, like, why do we attach to stories like that? When did Neoga Blacksmith come about? I don't even know if I know the year anymore. I, I, I think it's like 2006 or seven. It's, it's been some time. I must have been like 20 or 21 or something. 21, at least, for sure. I would just been, like, recording stuff in my bedroom in this apartment on campus that was, like run down lived with a few buddies but i had a lot of free time back then and so Uh this was this myspace was around yeah you know and so i had like a little you know page up there that i would sit in my room and i would pretty much just multi-track stuff i had Hmm. my drum set there which i'm sure the neighbors loved but in this you know brick apartment building with you know 20 units around me but you know i would do drum tracks and you know, there's a lot of covers. There's some original stuff I was working on, but I would put them all up on on this, you know, MySpace page. And, and I got a message through there from this account on there. It was Neoga Blacksmith. And I didn't know any who it was from, but remarked about how they liked my songs and I listened to theirs. And it turned out it was Matt Wade. We were from Monticello together. Gotcha. Um, and so he asked me if I would want to play in a band with him and so we got together and we had our friend evan smith playing piano and so i was drumming at that point so it was me on drums and evan on piano and matt on guitar and then i think shortly thereafter we brought my friend tony ewald in to play bass i've always had a thing about like bands with no bass you know it can be done pretty well but yeah i love the sound like of a good round yeah. low end you know yeah, absolutely. Um, really filled things out particularly in the country sort of style i feel like that that kind of nice bass sort of adds a lot to, to the balance and and so that was that okay. and it's evolved you know there's been more members in and out over the years um but basically it's been me and matt and tony essentially since the beginning you know with some people go- coming in and out but yeah yeah uh we don't uh do you want to have any do you want to talk about yeah well at all, or, yeah i mean um, i think that's appropriate in terms of um the song being about loss and um uh and for me uh this is an interesting story so um just to put it in terms of like what that's the song actually how i f- might feel about it um i have a friend of mine who i went to monticello high school with um who became um a mortician we'd played like a show at the iron post once and she came out and i remembered her saying like oh um i heard you had a song you played a song of yours about uh necrophilia and i'm sorry that i missed it <laughs> and uh, well but you know in a sense like he does right. want this dead zombie body back to, gotcha. you know not necessarily for the, you know the any sexual sort of connotations but just for, to fill right. that void right and my friend clayton deering i remember was standing right there and 
and and he'd said something like well i don't know that it's about like that it just seems like it's about longing or loss to me and like that's definitely what it's about to me it's like it's not about you know expecting this to actually work or you know anything like that is about like what do you do when you're confronted by loss and and so it is interesting you know featured on this song you know playing electric piano is my friend Kyle who came in and started playing with us a few years after we formed our our keyboardist at that time Evan moved out to Arizona as his wife was finishing medical school out there and uh we were looking for somebody else to come in and play keys and so Matt was very very good friends with Kyle for a very long time since high school they were like best buds and Kyle I guess was back around and available at that time and so he came in and he was just like you know it was it very clear like from the beginning like he and Matt had this dynamic of like songwriting and just knowing each other as friends that made it very easy to have him work with and he was just immensely talented you know um and recorded a lot with us and you know on on this album he does i think phenomenally and some of the things you know that i'm most in awe about is listening to some of his keys work and particularly on this song there is a, a solo that he just you know yeah rips off like in i think it's after that second verse in the instrumental break and for me i was thinking about this i was listening to the song earlier this week to prep and think about like well what would i want to like say about it and like that solo is one of my favorite things i think i've ever heard recorded wow. on any of our albums because it knowing like how it was produced like even you know it was a one take thing for him and he could just do that right he, that was not composed in right. any way he was just immensely talented and so like that was just something we like press record and he probably just you know played that off the top of his head and it was it's just so ah sophisticated and catchy and there's like a randomness and an agitation still to it he he kind of cycles on these things and then eventually resolves as he works down the scale and like i was thinking like it reminds me of like you know if you watch like olympics gymnasts right right do some crazy like flip and all these turns and then they stick the landing like watching kyle like do that stuff was like watching that but with like a beer in his hand the whole time because like he was like he, <laughs> yeah i mean and that's the moral of the story or, or really like where this all ends is like he was an immensely talented and brilliant person who grappled with substance abuse and addiction and depression for who knows yeah i mean as long as entire at least adolescent and adult life so brad and i continued to have a conversation about kyle that i felt would be more appropriate as a standalone episode so following this episode next week i will be posting an excerpt of this conversation so please tune in next week for the excerpt And now, back to the episode. We've landed in a place where now we have a very different lineup. And so we're working on new stuff that is going to be a very, I think, a different approach. It sounds, to me, almost truer to what I think some of the things we've been trying to get after as a band. Mm. It's a little bit more folkier. Maybe we're more mature. We're now, what, 13 years older than when we started. And so... I don't know, maybe that's like a stereotype Mm. of like getting older as you get a little softer. But like, I, you know, I think musically it'll be, you know, stuff I'm excited to have people hear. And it's great to have, you know, as much as, you know, this absence of having Kyle in the band is always felt. The guys that we've been able to bring in, the friends, you know, Mm. and Dave and Tim, they really, they take us in a new direction. And that's the the way it's been all along is like anytime anybody has had to leave the band we brought someone else in that kind of challenges you to right. do different things or approach something in a new direction or wouldn't maybe necessarily do it the same way as the person before and that's okay so even playing older songs now you know they become new iterations of those songs each time so there's a plan to record some yeah. new material and we've actually been we recorded about five songs with our friend matt wenzel at his recording studio in urbana called shangri and so he's done a lot of really great work he produced about half 
of the Primitive Lights album there that oh. I did there. He did the whole Vestiges album. You talked with Tom Dugan. He does the Falbonaut stuff. He's in the Falbonauts. So we recorded about five songs there, new songs. Half of us, I think we were kind of split. We thought, well, maybe we would release those as an EP. In this day and age, it just seems like you have to have content. Right. You know, to put it out is better than to just sit on it and wait. But I think we've ultimately decided that we're going to add about four more songs to it and just try and put out full length sort of album. And, you know, so we've been finishing up writing and rehearsing some of those. And hopefully here in the next month or two, I know Matt says he's getting real busy, um, we'll be able to get in and, and record a few more songs and then put out, you know, put out a new thing. So excited to have people here. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Jubilee Cafe. Jubilee Cafe is a free weekly meal program at Community United Church of Christ, 805 South 6th Street in Champaign, Illinois. Jubilee Cafe serves a home-cooked meal from 5 to 6.30 each Monday. Their mission is to feed hungry people by cooking healthy, delicious meals and by serving their guests restaurant-style with servers waiting on tables. Jubilee Cafe is open to anyone who cares to eat with them. Because food insecurity among students is so high, they serve students as well as others in and around the Champaign-Urbana community who struggle with hunger. Meals are free to all and will be served each Monday evening, located in the accessible lower level of the building at 6th and Daniel Streets in Champaign. For more information on the meal or how to volunteer, Go to the Jubilee Cafe CUCC Facebook page or email them at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. That's jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. Brad. What is your favorite venue? Oh, you know, that's changed a lot over the years. Well, like, you know, what's open? And, you know, mm-hmm. you know that that's always been kind of like my answer at any given point in time. I was like, well, <laughs> who has a stage and is booking my band, you know? Right. Or is willing, you know, or has the best shows that I'm willing to go to. That feels like it's not like... It feels like they're open to like giving people chances, you know? Yeah. And so there's always been a bar, it seems like at any given point in time that has that kind of ethos that like that they care about the scene, that they care about giving newcomers a shot and that they, you know, they actually treat the bands pretty well and they, they just provide a great atmosphere to play in. And so over the years, you know, occasionally, you know, uh, for a time it was Mike and Molly's and then for us at another time we were just, you know, felt really at home at Memphis on Main back when it existed. Right. You know, now anymore it's been, you know, the Rose Bowl or Loose Cobra. You know, both of those bars right now I think are just doing a fantastic job for supporting music and encouraging people to come out and play their music or receive music in our scene and it's no accident that those are owned by musicians i'm just really thankful to have though at this moment in time to have those places you know our friends at bentley's are music lovers yeah and so that they host music when they can we do a hog shoot happy hour thing periodically out on the patio when the weather's nice and so long answer would be all that short answer would be any bar that you know really seems to have an investment in promoting music and isn't doing so in a cynical sort of way what's your favorite concert that you've ever played favorite concert that i've ever played well the opry any given year Mm. i think is always just such a good time and it's not particularly about our set it's just that 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 opportunity brings so many people around and I, i witness other great music but i also witness like my friends achieve amazing things with their bands i'm close with all of my friends bands and so we see each other's work pretty intimately we hear it in rough phases and demos and here's a bit that i'm working on and so the way that a lot of bands i see like shape their stuff up and like really like knock it out of the park at the opry is really encouraging to me i'm like god damn like wow like i have some very talented friends and so just being around those people has been just the best part of it and in fact like looking back into starting this whole thing like i didn't have a lot of friends like in the music community Hmm. before the opry and 
I felt like I, you know, our band was kind of an island, and there was hmm. maybe like, it maybe it was just the time or just us being young and not really having the maturity to like know like how to go about things. But like, I sensed some like air of competitiveness between a lot of bands at that time, where it was like you were jockeying to be the bigger one or get the closing spot. Which, by the way, like closing spot, you yeah. know, give me the early spot. <laughs> um, yeah, but. There was something, you know, I started that because I felt like, I don't know, you know, like there was, there was a very distinct, like kind of band that was getting booked a lot around town and we weren't very good. And so it was like, it wasn't like we were going to get booked at these big things. And so I thought like, well, maybe I'll just like throw a party for me and my, you know, my band, like we'll have a little Mm. thing out in the woods. And I grew up in Monticello. And so I'd been to a show in high school at the Calix Center and I went to one of the barnstormer things there when I was in college or grad school, I think, um, when it came through. And so I knew of the place, but I hadn't really met Bill, who owns it. And so I just kind of messaged him on the Facebook through their page, the Calix Center page, or found an email address or something. Mm-hmm. And I said, like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm from Monticello. I'm thinking about doing this country and folk music thing. You know, I went to a show at your barn years ago. You know, let me know if you think that's something you'd be interested in. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, yeah, that's, I'm definitely interested in that. Let's meet. I'm grateful eternally that he took a chance and let me like put together something on his property to this scope, you know, and he's, Mm. he's a pretty like private guy, right? You know, and he, he likes to have events and people out there, but they have to be kind of his events, you know, they have to be things that he believes in. And, you know, uh, if people don't know, you know, I've been told that Bill was a tremendous banjo player and just a music lover. He was one of the founders of Weft. He has a a background in radio engineering and community. He's worked in Central America and South America, I believe, building radio stations down there, just, you know, out of the goodness of his own heart, essentially. Holy cow. Um, So he's just a really generous, sweet person, I think, you know, that I've been thankful to have in my life and that took a chance on letting us put on it, you know, now a, a semi-annual event at his barn out in the woods. It started really small with, I think, like five acts. I think by the second year, we tried to do two nights with about five acts a night. And I think that was quickly ditched because I was just exhausted. I'm already still exhausted at the end of one day, mm-hmm. but like to, to do two whole days out there was just too much for me. There wasn't a demand for it at the time. The word hadn't really gotten out. But I'd say like by the third year, you know, I'd already made a few friends along the way those first couple of years, people that I knew I could depend on who I thought like, oh, they kind of get it. And like, they'll be good to have out and opening access to like, you know, it's like almost that seven degrees of Kevin Bacon sort of thing. Like, yeah. Well, I know this person, they would really love to come out and play this thing. And, be, and I would be like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. You know, we're always booking. And, you know, by the third year, I really felt like I think by that year was the year that we had, like, I think the fights came out. I think maybe Penny Horses were there. A number of other bands that I think we really became like very close friends with me that are still very close friends, I think, with me and my bands and now are very much intertwined in our own projects. Right. Yeah. right? You know, Penny Horses is no longer, but it's become like two different bands. Colonel James Presents which has a number of other people from mm-hmm. like the hog shoot scene or the fights or whatever it is. And Primitive Lights is Tim McGee's and that has me and Cole from the fights and right. um, Johnny Davidson, who's been in a billion bands around town. We joke a lot about that. It kind of feels like the scene, at least our kind of circle yeah. is somewhat incestuous. Right. <laughs> it gets really hard to book practices and gigs, but it is nice because like, I've never known that to have like a bench of so many people that like, I know people who are like, well, I'm starting a project. Who can I call? Well, here's like 30 names, you know, of talented musicians who I know are game because they come to the snake pit or and they're looking for projects or they're just, we know that they're of the right attitude and that they make music a priority in their life and that they're cooperative and that they kind of have this ethos of like working together and doing the best, you know, not for any other reason other than because they love playing music, you know, or being around people who love playing music. I feel like... The musicians that come out to play the hog shoot, either the harvest or the the spring, mm-hmm. when they come out to perform at the hog shoot, they're playing like this is their masterpiece. Is that that's I'd the say that that's that I fair? I, yeah. yeah, I mean, like, and that's the that's how it resonates with me. Yeah, like I I watch like my you know my friends playing these sets, and I'm like holy cow! Like this seems like professional level performance to me, and like these are just people I know. You know, and um, 
you know, and it's not to say, like to clarify from earlier, it's not that they're not always great. You could see them at the Rose Bowl and they might sound amazing, but it just seems like they uh, people have come to really respect this event and like there's a lot of energy when you arrive there and people right. look forward to playing it. And I guess that comes across and I'm just honored that it means that much to people um, that this little thing that I would have, you know, dreamt up would actually mean anything like that, you know. It's just mind-boggling to me, but... I feel like not only does it sound good as a listener, but it also seems like it sounds great for the performer as well. It's the barn, you know, it's got those tall, even though they're like aluminum ceilings, they're so tall, it's like a cathedral in there. And like, even before Bob Hen gets out there and like sets up the sound stuff, I like to play the drums in the room just every Uh... once in a while. And like, I'm always just taken by all of that wood and that space and just i think the age of how old that barn is you know that must have something to do with it that it's just a very warm spot to play like the acoustics there and i've always said like if i was going to do like a retreat and go and record somewhere and remotely like that would be the place to do it and we record every opry you know that bob records through the board and so we end up with tracks of people's sets. Everybody who plays, we have basically their performance recorded. Mm-hmm. And we try and single out songs um, to put out compilations here and there. Um, and I've gotten really lazy about that the past, I think, three events. I think we mm-hmm. have still waiting to come out. It's been fun to do those. And also just to have an artifact of what it's like. My favorite moment of this last year was seeing Angie Heaton in the mm-hmm. fights yes. play. And I just felt like that was... That was everything. I don't know. It's been so long since I've seen Angie play. And also, you know, since the fights had broken up, it was kind of this, you know, memories and great Right. No, there's a nostalgia, it seems, that a lot of people associate to it just for that purpose, right? That, you know, the Angie being able to, like, have a band for, to my knowledge, like, the first time in a while, like, having a band behind her and playing, like, out at a show like that. Like, she was fantastic and, like the fights like to see them reunite in any sort of way is amazing because Mm -hmm. just as a unit those musicians are all so plugged into one another that you know they just click and so they've done that you know with angie and they did that with uh our friend christy hayes um and i think that they enjoy doing that right Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Exile on Main Street. Exile on Main Street, located in the old train station building at 100 North Chestnut Street in downtown Champaign, has been helping to build record collections since 2004. Carrying a wide array of new and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile on Main Street has something for just about any music enthusiast and old school gaming devotee. Exile also hosts regular free live music shows on its stage, so be sure to check out their Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages for the up-to-date details on the next upcoming event. Open seven days a week. They can be reached by phone at 217-398-MAIN. That's 217-398-6246. Brad, what is your favorite non-musical thing? Okay. In my real life, you know, my musician life is what I would consider like my alter ego sort of life. In my real life, I'm a visual artist and an instructor of visual arts and arts education. And so that's a very big thing that I'm involved in a lot. And that does overlap with my musical life Mm -hmm. a lot. You know, I do posters, gig posters for all of the Opry things and also for several, many, many shows around town. I love to do that. I stress out a bit about it, I suppose, a lot when I know I've got a deadline coming up, but it's something that I love to do. You know, I've done album artwork for people, for Thomas from Vestiges. I mm-hmm. did for his old band, Patriot Patrol. I worked with Penny Horses. I did part of theirs in collaboration with Paige Spangler, who did a collage for their cover. I'm doing the new Tractor Kings artwork, ostensibly. Excellent. If they haven't replaced me, I've taken kind of too long. Sorry, Jake. But I'm excited about that. And so, you know, that's what I love. I love art, visual arts. Um, you know, I do photography, animation, things like that, illustration. Digital arts is mostly kind of what I do, you know. I love stuff like that. How would you describe your particular style? I could almost, I would say probably a 90% 
success rate of identifying right. if you did right. the, the art. How would you how would you describe that style? I think I have a recognizable style. And yeah. like, I don't know how you would describe it other than, you know, some of the first early Opry posters, I was inspired by these old national parks, like WPA posters, which yeah. were really beautiful. So a couple of those, like that was like an era of my work that I think I was really kind of trying to emulate that style. But I've also gotten just, you know, more and more focused on creating artworks. I think I have a really flat style. You know, I, I wouldn't say that I, I go realistic a lot. I think that I do iconographic a little bit. Yeah. That I try and simplify things out to basic shapes. I like it to look vintage or handmade, even though it's not most of the time. Um, it's mostly digital done. I don't know. How would you describe it? Like, um, I'd be interested in hearing that. You know what it reminds me of? And not... Not necessarily, I don't know why I always feel like I have to explain or like soften the blow of my suggestion, but what it always reminds me of is like construction paper mm -hmm. uh, pieces. Like you, sure. you yeah. take, you, you don't, uh, there's not really, I don't get a sense that there's ever any blending between, right. and I know you do, no, but no. I, I mean, it's, it's you, very much color separated. There's yeah. a block, there's a shape then it's a certain, a certain color and I'm not working in gradients a lot. I'm not rendering in like volumetric you know, right. stuff. It's like I said, I think very flat, like paper, like, yeah. Um, the way I, the way I set it up, I try and think about it as though I was going to do a screen print and I try and think about blocks mm. of color as opposed to how simply can I do this in terms of color and shape and things like that. Well, very t-shirt design. When yes. you said silk, yes. uh, like screen print, yeah. that, I mean, that's, yes, they all look screen, like screen prints. Yeah, where, the, yeah, where there's very few variations of color right. and that, you know, the, the red of the flame is, is also part of the red of the barn. Right. You, you may have a color palette of like two or three or even... I do have some favorites that I go through. You know, some favorite color palettes. I I find a lot of like red, black, yeah. yellows. Like yeah. that's, that's I do those a lot. But those are bold colors. That's not an uncommon thing, I don't think. But I, I really need to hit you up for uh, some... Uh, to get the hog shoot posters from well that's from beginning to end i'd be happy to get those for you and people are always asking me for for copies of some of the back catalog posters uh-huh i'm hoping to get like a etsy or something up online where people can get those and you know anything awesome. that they would pay for that would go into the opry it'd be a way to support it and give us a little bit of a leeway in our budgets from year to year so keep an eye out for that if you're interested if you've been searching for opry posters or we've got our cds or compilations and things like that clayton and uh, his partner, Callie, they have been making buttons and magnets and bottle openers and things for us for years, too. So, yeah, uh, we've got all sorts of ephemera and, uh, you know, accoutrement that uh, we'd be happy to sell you if, if uh, you'd be so willing to support the event. Because it is a low budget, pretty shoestring sort of thing. But it doesn't seem like it. Well, I, I mean, it well, just doesn't. It doesn't. We do a good job. Seem, yeah. yeah. Well, um, yeah. I was just thinking, strangely enough, I was like, that would be almost a cool, I don't know, music project name, Ephemera. Ephemera. Of course, it would be like, it'd be like ambient synth Right, of stuff, course. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know why. You I wouldn't, just, you wouldn't be able to quite put your finger on what genre it is. That's right. Right. But uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be memorable. It'd be something yeah, you'd be able to take away in your band pocket. Name. That's one of my favorite things is coming up, like, is trademarking band names when people say them. I can't uh, think of any good ones on the spot now, though, but... I don't know if you said you had other not, uh, favorite non-musical things, um, or... I mean, I well, feel like... Well, I mean, yeah, art is really the big one. That's what consumes my life otherwise. You know, that's that's what I'm motivated to do. It brings me joy, and it's what I've devoted, like, my career towards, and it's what I hope that I can continue doing, you know, with my life. Awesome. If I could make a living just, like, producing art, you know, creating music, doing creative work like that, like, that would be... A, a dream right you know and yeah. i think that's a lot of us and i see that in a lot of my friends and like the musicians people who are immensely talented hmm. and i just think like if we could all just do this brad thank you so much for coming on out to the blue box studio and recording this episode with me and telling me all about your song formaldehyde and sharing how the hog shoot opry became 
a thing. Of course. And just your favorite non-musical thing. And I really appreciate you and what you do for artists in the Champaign-Urbana music scene. Uh, I, I feel like you do a great job of being a representative of what this scene could be you know since i was a kid you know listening to wpgu or looking in from the outside of like a farm kid looking into champagne always infinitely impressed about like well champagne's like a real music town right if i could just play a show in champagne like that would be amazing right Mm -hmm. and so like i'm just blessed i think i feel you know that i'm in this position right i I, i have so much faith in the people around me that it's just it's mind-blowing sometimes and i think we're a really special place i put as much effort as i can into it but i see many other people around me putting effort into doing it you included sven you know what you're doing here i think is really important and uh, Mm. fun to talk to you know yeah i the time just flies right by i can't even believe it it does i'm two budweiser's in and and here we are (laughs) anyway but thank you so much thanks sven appreciate it Thank you for listening to Champagne is also a band podcast. This is Brad Olson reminding you great music is out there. Go find it where you live. You almost have an NPR voice, it's so good.